The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the dominion of God has come near. Repent, believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for human beings. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As Jesus went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John who were in their boat, mending their nets. Immediately Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. It's hard to imagine, friends, that anything is more important than family. It doesn't matter which creed or confession you follow in this world, all of them place high value on family. But as children of God, our primary devotion is to God. And as strange as it is to say, family comes second. All of our readings today make this clear in one way or another. The excerpt about Jonah's visit to Nineveh proclaims the need for all to repent, to turn their attention again toward God. Maybe their distractions or their attention was not on things family, but anything else. And if every family member, though, turns their attention, primarily, of course, not all of your attention, toward God, then it, by definition, cannot primarily be on one another. And the psalm that we read responsibly, it echoes praises of God and understanding of God that implies a strong focus and belief of God as the source for all that we need in this life. That we should not put our attention, our strong focus, on things like wealth and its increase, or the powers of this world. If we have this strong focus and belief, if our praises and prayers to God sound like this psalm, then God is primary in our lives. In our second reading from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, it reminds his readers that as much of the, as the relationships of this life have to offer, our relationship with God has all the more. Because the benefits of relationships in this life, however great, are temporary. And the benefits of our relationship with God is eternal. And finally, our gospel story about Jesus calling a handful of disciples to ministry, it shows a powerful example of primary devotion to God. 
Simon and Peter first, although there is no reference to it, there is no doubt that they show their primary devotion to God by dropping their nets, by leaving their fishing boat, by leaving their livelihood, and they follow Jesus. And no doubt leaving family as well. But then we hear about James and John who show their primary devotion too by leaving their father This person who has raised them, the person who has taught them the faith, the person who has provided for them. They show their primary devotion to God by leaving their father. Don't misunderstand me to mean that primary devotion to God also calls you to neglect everyone and everything in your life, especially those who define who you are, especially your family. No, the calling within these readings, the calling of a disciple, means that we can let God guide us and help us to micromanage all that calls for our devotion in this life. Because being devoted to the ones who need us in this life is a devotion to God. Even and especially to our family. Honestly, friends, primary devotion to God is not always the easiest for your pastor either. So if you're feeling guilty about that, I hope you feel a sense of solidarity. The truth is, as weak and temporary human beings, we all struggle with this tension. Why focus all our energy and devotion on something so difficult, something that feels sometimes unattainable? when we can devote ourselves fully in the moment to those closest to us, to our family, to our friends. Because like our story from Jonah teaches us, our very identity as redeemed children of God calls us to do hard things. Like acknowledge where we faltered and to turn again to God. This is the very definition of repentance. This is the very DNA that we have as children of God. We are called to do hard things, like share this sermon and be vulnerable in telling you that I've been struggling. I've been struggling to remain devoted primarily to God because the mess of it all this past year, and it has really affected me. But even in the midst of that struggle, I've experienced God break into the darkness of competing devotions in my life and remind me that God is in the thick of it with me. As if God or my sense of God or my spirituality was absent just because things were hard and felt a little out of my control. But this cannot be. This is not the case. There's no denying, friends, as one of my wise colleague put it, that the world feels heavy and dark from the majority of time that we live in it. Whether it be because of war, suffering, hunger, pandemic, climate change, the list is long, the list goes on. So in a sense, the story of Jonah reminds us that we can do these hard things, that we can endure 
these hard things. That as I've said in sermons before, we as children of God were made for times, for circumstances exactly like this. Instead of turning and running from a tough situation and or God, what it might look like for us to boldly answer God's call to face those situations, those dark and heavy circumstances head on. How do we show faith by living out a primary devotion to God? How do we trust that if we cast our nets or leave them all together, that God will work through us to bring about the kingdom? How do we keep the faith during such trials? How do we fish for people, for human beings? How do we make disciples in a time of social distancing? I hope you're not disappointed that there are more questions in this sermon than answers. But then, I don't view it as my responsibility in preaching to give you answers to difficult questions. Rather, I view it as my sacred responsibility and duty to tell you that I wrestle with these questions, too. Just like you. And all the more I want to learn and to grow, to grow toward answers, to grow toward an understanding that will help us live more primarily devoted to God. So that when we face, when we are faced with hard things, we know how to navigate and to support one another. Like Jonah, we don't want to go there. We don't want to go to our Nineveh, but we have to. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't think they were worth it. He didn't think that they would repent. He didn't even think that God would change God's mind. But God did. Because Jonah went where he didn't want to go. To the difficult place he didn't want to face. The true irony being that Jonah's story and journey to Nineveh ended up requiring him to do the same thing that he prophesied to the citizens there. They all had to face what they didn't want to face. They all needed to repent, to turn again, to face God. Jonah included. So in the spirit of the many questions I've asked, I now ask one more. What is your Nineveh? I know mine right now. And I'm working to face my Nineveh, to repent and to turn my devotion back to God. Because that allows me to center myself when facing challenges in this life. And to trust that God will walk with me through them. Like so many Americans and people throughout the world, I was deeply moved this past week when bearing witness to Amanda Gorman's poem that she shared with the world as the U.S. President Joseph Biden was inaugurated. And I want to leave you with her words that fit well with the calling of this day of this life 
in this world. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. That even as we hurt, we hoped. That even as we tired, we tried. That we'll forever be tied together victorious. Not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That is the promise to Glade, the hill we climb, if we only dare. Amen.